Welcome to Living the Word Today, brought to you by Mount Calvary Baptist Church. We invite you to spend the next few minutes studying God's Word with your Bible teacher, Jesse Wagoner. Pastor Wagoner's desire for you is to not only understand God's truth, but to help you live it today. More resources can be found on our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Now it is time to open your heart and your Bible for your time in the Word.
studying the Word of God today, for those of you that are first time with us or first time in West Virginia, uh, we've been doing a verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 Thessalonians, and we've entitled it every day, To Experience Jesus in the Routine of Life. And uh, this is probably, as best we can understand, the first letter that Paul wrote that's included in the text of Scripture, very early in the, in the scope and the sequence of his writing. And he writes to a church that he had uh, visited, and a church actually he started He had to leave prematurely, according to his calculation anyway. So to encourage them, he writes back a number of things. And we're now really verses 23 through 28 of chapter 5. This is the last, okay? This is is part 14 of our study through 1 Thessalonians. So we've been going a little slow. We've been looking a little bit of depth and detail. But we want to look at this part, this last part, that's oftentimes overlooked. It's sort of just a closing comment. So like, okay, say a few things, get out of here, Okay. And uh, we're going to look at that last section. But I want to think about a word. I want to get a word into your mind to just encapsulate our thoughts. And uh, I don't know if you like comics like I like uh, comics. I'm talking about like the comic strip comics. But all the way back in 1960, a man named Bill Keen started this comic that you'll see on your screen entitled Family Circus. And I love this one if you've ever raised kids. Okay, whose turn is it to get the blame this time? You know, that sort of thing. Well, he wrote about his family, and all the characters in it were based on members of his own family. And uh, it's still still in production, still in about 1,500 newspapers and periodicals, obviously, online today around the world. Uh, Bill Keene actually passed away a few years ago. Now his son, Jeff Keene, took over and just continued that family tradition of this, this thing. So it concerns these children and mom and dad and a few others. But in 1975, he introduced a new character. And uh, maybe you'll relate to this, but every time something would go wrong, if you go to the next slide, he would pencil on this little figure leaving the, pa- leaving the panel whose name was not me. You know, who put the teeth marks in all the chocolates Daddy gave to me? Not me. So not me was this gremlin, quote unquote, that always got blamed for everything. Here's another example of that. Uh, who threw sunflower seeds all over the floor? There goes not me, you know, leaving. And he expanded this over the years to include several others. You'll go to the next slide. Uh, he included uh, other people that was such as I don't know, nobody, oh yeah, and just because, just to explain all those things. Because 
the karmic would always depict that when something went wrong, everybody is trying to absolve themselves to avoid taking responsibility for whatever took place. Now, this has been going on for a while. This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Remember Adam and Eve? Well, you know what? It was, it was the woman that gave me the, the fruit to eat, and that serpent talked to me, and ended up the passing of the blame and looking out for responsibility. Today we talk about responsibility in these verses of Scripture, and that's our title for today, Responsibility, looking at these verses. But there's two parts to this, and that's what we want to look at. Not only does he talk to us one final time about our responsibility as followers of Christ, but he talks to us about what God took upon himself as the responsibility to care for us. It is not an either-or, it's a both-and. And he wants both those to play. By the way, both of those things help balance us out. Because if we just say, everything's on me, I have to do it, I have to drum up enough strength, and I'm going to you know, just be a better person, do different things, we're pretty much destined always to fail. If we say, Lord, that's your business, you're going to take care of everything in my life, but we don't put forth any effort to cooperate with that, that's presumption. So he reminds us of the, in these verses of his responsibility and our responsibility, and more importantly for our learning today, we're going to learn how we should respond to these magnificent statements of responsibility. I just want to read the text for you. It begins in verse 23, 1 Thessalonians 5. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. If you've read many of Paul's letters, you know that many of them end in a very similar fashion. Different details. Sometimes he'll actually mention someone by name that he's including in this greeting or a leader in the church. Here it's just sort of general. But I want us to look at the responsibility. And he begins in verses 23 and then in 24 talking about what God will do for us. And first of all, we need to acknowledge his responsibility for us. There needs to be an active, conscious way of thinking and heart connection to say, Lord, you have taken upon yourself the responsibility for the well-being of someone like me. You notice me. You know me. You have done all these things for me. You've saved me through the, through the blood of Christ. You've called me through the Spirit of God. You now are changing me through that same power from the inside out that we sung about just a little bit ago. So he, he takes this responsibility. Responsibility number one, the responsibility he takes is to have a relationship with us. That's the reason he says, now may the God of peace... And as I was studying this earlier, my wife asked me as we were talking about it, said, why does he use the word peace? He can say God of love, God of grace, God of mercy, God, you know, any, any adjective you want to plug in there that, you want to plug, that would apply to God, you could use. But he uses this word peace. But I think it's because what he talks about in the rest of the verse. This peace is between God and us. It's between us. He's the God that brings us who were once enemies through Christ. He brings us into a relationship with himself. So this God who has now established this peaceful relationship with us, the God who now has a relationship with us, he wants to do these things, and he takes this responsibility, okay? And that is secondly, that's the second thing he looks at, is the responsibility to develop us. Now may the God of peace, this relationship of peace, may he, he's say, saying this, sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus. Now, if you've been with us in the study earlier, you remember 
that about the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4, it changes direction in the letter. It's sort of big picture uh, discussions about his relationship with them, his desire to be with them, and some things about Christ. But the end of chapter 3, really in chapter 4, it becomes very practical. Now, here's how you relate in the church. Here's how you deal with problem people. Here's how you fix your attitude, all those things we've talked about. Here's how you relate to the doctrine, the teaching that Jesus is going to come back someday. He covers all that, but he begins that teaching, and this is back in chapter 4, verse 3, where he mentions sanctify. He mentions sanctify. He says that, that God would do these things. And in verse, uh, verse, chapter 5 and verse 23, here he mentions it again. He also mentions blameless in chapter 3 and verse 13. He mentions it here in 523 as well. So he bookends this practical section with this thing that God wants to do. He wants to make us sanctified and he wants to make us blameless. Let's talk about what those mean for just a moment so we understand. Sometimes we just throw Bible words out and we expect us all to get them. Sanctify means the practical process of change to make us more like Jesus. The practical process of change to make us more like Jesus in character. Now, we're not like Jesus in power and authority and position, but we need to be like him in character, that he was loving. We need to be loving. He's merciful. We need to be merciful. He was, a, he was committed to and, was pers and personified the truth. We need to be people who traffic in the truth. So we are. To, this change takes place over a lifetime as the Spirit changes us, as we grow in Christ. Spiritual maturity is, is another way we would describe this, this change. So what God really wants to do, and he's assumed the responsibility for it, that he is going to be changing us all through our lives until we get to be with Jesus forever. He's not going to stop. We'll talk about that in just a moment. He is not content for you and I to be like we are today. Even though we're who we are today, hopefully is not who we were this time last year or 10 years ago or whatever it is. We are changing, but he's not content. He's going to continue to work and change us. Sometimes he does that through some glorious blessing he drops in our lap where he just shows us that God is here. I do amazing things. I have wonderful strength. I can bless you. And sometimes he does it through the darkest of hours. When we get so far down where the only direction we can look is up. When we get down that there is no hope but God and we find out that he is sufficient for our darkest hours. So he leads us through this life with all of its twists and turns, its ups and downs, its expected, and a whole bunch of unexpected to mold us, to change us, to move us, to knock off the rough edges so that we can be more like Jesus. And then blameless. Blameless is how God sees us. Now, you and I, okay, fasten your seatbelts. I don't want to shock you. You and I are not blameless. We have in our record a whole string of moral failures, starting from our earliest days of existence up until today. But he assumes the responsibility that he is going to present us to himself blameless. And that is positional truth. The first is practical, changes over time. This is positional. This is how he sees us. Because there's, you see this often in the New Testament. It talks about that we are in Christ or we have the righteousness of Christ. And the way this works is when a person comes to believe in Jesus as their Savior, God takes Jesus' righteousness, which is absolutely pure and wholesome and holy, and puts it on our account and swallows us up in his righteousness. He doesn't see us in all of our struggle. He doesn't see us in all of our, in all of our failures. He sees us as complete in Christ because that's his ultimate responsibility to get us there. So he assumes the responsibility to have a relationship with us and to develop us. Now, a couple other things in this verse you need to see. It says in the end of 23, to preserve, be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
all five chapters of First Thessalonians end with a reference to the coming of Christ. Someday Jesus is going to come back. Now, our personal experience is going to be one of two ways. Either we're here when he shows up, or we leave this life and we go to be with him. So we have one or two. I would prefer option one over option two. But regardless, we go to be with him. So there's this expectation that God is not finished. He's not finished with this world. He's not finished with us. And here's the great news is he takes the responsibility to finish his reformation project of you. Sometimes we give up on other people, don't we? Sometimes we give up on ourselves. Here's the absolute truth. God will never, no way, no how, under no circumstances, will God ever give up on you. We need to acknowledge that, and we need to believe that. And I'm going to give you a little practical here in just a moment when we get back to it. But he says, uh, one more thing I want to observe about verse 23. He says, may he sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved. He wants to get you to heaven. He wants you to be like Jesus, and he's going to superintend this process. He takes this responsibility on himself, and he says that I want all of you to experience in this. Now, there's part of us which is physical, okay? We have flesh, we have bones, we have blood, we have all this very complicated biochemical system that keeps us going and, and keeps us with nutrition and keeps us healthy, keeps us growing, and keeps us going as long as this life will be sustained in this body. And he says, your body, we understand that, but he says, I'm going to preserve your body, and we'll, talk, we'll come back to that in just a moment. But he talks about your spirit and your soul. And this gets a little murky, Okay, is, is there three parts to us? Is part of a soul, part of a spirit, part of a body? This verse would seem to indicate it. I'm not that sophisticated thinker. I just typically like to think of there's part of us which is material, and there's part of us which is not material. The soul, the part that goes on, the part that exists apart from our physicality. But here's the good news. He wants to change that immaterial part, our soul, our spirit, to make us more like Jesus in the practical. He, positionally, when we're in Christ, we are considered righteous, as righteous as Jesus, so we are fit to go to heaven. But then even our body will be redeemed. In the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul spends an entire chapter talking about the resurrection, and he's not talking about the resurrection of Jesus, although he references it. He's talking about the resurrection of us. And if you take the Bible literally and put it in an authoritative position in your life, which you should, then God is telling us in his word this, I'm not content to get your soul to heaven. Someday, even if you die before Jesus comes back, when Jesus comes back, he's going to even resurrect that body like Jesus was resurrected from the grave. And then we're going to be given, it tells us in that same chapter, that we'll have a glorious spiritual eternal body, not one that gets old, wears out, and turns gray, a body that will live forever with him. So all of us, he says, I'm not content to, to, to see you remain as you are, and I'm not content to see you remain where you are, your soul, spirit, and body. He takes that responsibility. How do you know that's going to take place? I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 24. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Why do you know these things are true? One reason and one reason only is our God is faithful. What he says, he will do. What he has said to this point, he has done. And what he said yet that he remains undone, he indeed will do yet future. It's the faithfulness of God. And that do it you see there in the end of verse 24, that doing is that blameless and sanctification back in verse 23. You can count on it. So how do we relate to that? Well, there's a lot of, part, a lot of this process that we do not understand, okay? 
you know, why did this tragedy happen? Why did this disappointment happen? Why do I have to suffer with this? Why, is, why did that relationship end badly? Why do I have the struggle? What was that blessing about? How are you trying to lead me? There's a lot we don't know in this process of sanctification and what God is doing in the whole blameless department. But I want to just put a quote on the, on the screen for you if I can. Don't stress when you don't know. Rather, you count on the one you do know. There's so much of life we don't know what is going on, but there is someone we can count on, and he is faithful, and he will do it, and he's taken the responsibility to get you from here to heaven through Jesus, and he's taken the responsibility to change you while you're here, and someday he's going to redeem all of you, your spirit, your soul, and your body from the grave wherever it ends up if you die before he comes. So you lean on the one you know. I remember one time my dad here in the hills of West Virginia bought a, a 1960 era Bronco. And this is when Broncos were just little boxes and rust buckets and that sort of thing. And uh, he, he, he did it when we'd go up in the woods, up in the hills to go hunting. And I remember one time we were in this thing and I was in the back seat and, we, and it was just mud covered and slick and there was a big drop off on one side of this dirt road, mud road we were on. And we're going up and this thing started sliding. I'm probably about eight or nine years old and I'm in the back thinking, I'm going to die. I'm about to die. I'm, not, I'm going to be killed because this thing was sliding. And I didn't know how we were going to make it. And then I remembered this. My dad was behind the wheel. Best driver I ever was in. My dad drove for uh, up until he was 93 years of old. He was still driving. And to my knowledge, never once had an accident, even a fender bender. Maybe, maybe, a, maybe there was a scratch here and there that he never told me about. But he's just a great driver. But anyway, he was eight years old. We're sliding all over the place. And I remember, I'm going to die. And then I remembered, no, I'm just going to focus on the guy in the driver's seat. It's amazing how I just relaxed. And I'm here to prove that the guy in the driver's seat was able to get us to the top of that hill. I didn't die at eight years of age. Sometimes we're in the, we're in the, in the vehicle and it's sliding all over the place and it looks like there's a precipice on this side and we're about ready to get it. What you need to do is focus on the one that's in the driver's seat. You don't know what's going on, focus on the one you do know. A couple, three things that I want to encourage you. First of all, take some time, take some reflection, and take some adoration. And now we are big here at our church, and you hear me say it all the time, that we need to get alone with God. Get alone with God. Spend time with Him. I want to encourage you to take a little vacation with God. Maybe it's a day off with God, a little extra time. Just find some time, you alone, and just say, Lord, I'm going to spend some time with you. I'm going to reflect on what you've done, where I've come for in life, what you promised me in life, and I'm just going to spend some time saying, Lord, I adore you for that kind of grace and that kind of mercy that's available to me. Take a, take a God break. What is it you call those days? A dog, day. a dog days, which is what? Day alone with God. Day alone with God. Okay, there you go. Have a dog day. Thank you, Pastor Adam. So spend some time with him. Now, not only do we acknowledge his responsibility, we also need to acknowledge and accept our responsibility. And that starts in verse 25. A very brief set of things, very easy to understand. First of all, he says, brethren, pray for us. Responsibility, first of all, is to each other. We know that he is doing this for us. Now, what do we need to be doing now? And if we acknowledge his responsibility to us and we accept our responsibility back to him, then everything is working as it should be. And he says to this church in Thessalonica, this church that he's away from, this church that he loves, this is what I want you to be doing and this is what God says to you because he left this letter in the pages of Holy Scripture to say to us, this is what I need you to be doing. You want to love somebody, you want to help somebody else, pray for them. We already talked about our assignment to pray for these folks that are joining us here this, this time. I know many of you pray for me, and it means more to me than you know. And I think it accomplishes far more than you would suspect. 
because uh, with, without your prayers and God's blessing, nothing really is accomplished. So pray for each other. If someone comes across your mind, pray for them. One of the big things we, we have a danger of is saying, I'll pray for you. And it becomes just the words that we say, I'll pray for you. But make sure you really do. Paul, this giant of a man in, in th terms of, of, of footprint of ministry, who the, wrote the bulk of the New Testament that worked miracles, that did amazing things for God, was this brave hero champion out there on the frontier. If he says, pray for us, his team, it says that all of us need some prayer. So there's also another one. He says in 26, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Now that seems a little strange to us. I doubt that there was too much kissing among us when we came into church this morning. But in their culture and in many cultures today, in other places in the world, it's very common for, and typically it is divided, so women and women and men, but to do a kiss on the cheek. It's as common as a handshake or a pat on the back in our culture. What he's saying is not so much the activity. The key word of that verse is greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. It's not so much how the greeting takes place, but you greet all the brethren. In other words, don't be factious. Don't be leaving anybody out. If someone's a believer in Christ, you love them, you greet them, you give them your attention and care. When you see the need, you step forward to, to do that. You give that call. You ever just get this feeling? I've had this, this earlier this week. Just somebody just kind of come across my mind. It's just like, I don't know why, but I think I need to reach out to that person. I need to, right now, just stop what I'm doing and make that call or make that connection or make that prayer. That we have responsibilities to each other. Make sure you keep your responsibilities to each other. Secondly, there's a responsibility to the Word of God. You keep being who you need to be in the body of Christ, and then you keep filling your mind with the Word of God. That's the reason he says in 27, I charge you by the Lord... I mean, he's not going to say, read your Bible every day. That's not what he says. He says, I charge you by the Lord. In the strongest terms in his language that he could push, that he could muster, he says, I want you to do this and make sure you don't miss doing this. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle, literally this letter, be read to all the holy brethren. He's saying to the pastor, whoever's the leaders in the church, he says, don't get this and keep this to yourself. And every once in a while, drop a few tidbits out to the people in the congregation. He says, no, I want this to be read. I want this to be accessible. I want this to be heard by everybody that's in your church in Thessalonica. Because he knew this was available to everybody and needed to be available to everybody. And by the way, we've hit already on three key ingredients of spiritual growth. We need to be in community with each other. We need to pray for each other. Prayer is essential. And thirdly, we need the input of the Word of God. Thank you for giving some time this morning to studying the Word of God with me. I enjoy our conversations together, but let's make sure that we're students of the Word of God. I think uh, those of you that worship with us all the time, uh, I, I have nothing much to say to you other than keep going in that regard. And lastly, we need to trust God in all things. Verse 28, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. The first phrase of chapter 1, verse 1 in this book is a reference to God granting them grace. The last phrase of the book is a statement about grace, and it bookends the whole book in grace. But we need to trust in that grace. You know, sometimes we are people that think, well, Lord, I honestly believe in my, whole, in my faith, in my hope, in my, my, my commitment to you. I honestly believe that someday you're going to get me from here to heaven. And some days we act like God can't get us from here to the end of the day. We're ready to quit. We're ready to give up. We're ready to stop. We're ready to just throw it all away. But here's the reality. God's grace is at the beginning 
God's grace is the end. God's grace is sufficient. And God's grace is simply his favor, his goodness he gives us, his help he gives us that you do not earn. If you're a follower of Christ, operate in his grace. If you're not a follower of Christ and you've never trusted him as your Savior, that's the starting point of a relationship with him. For by grace are you saved, Paul wrote to the Ephesians. For by grace are you saved through faith. We access faith through faith into this grace. He wants to save you. We are sinners separated from God. Jesus died to pay sin's price on the cross. Whoever believes in that finished work and stakes the destiny of their soul in faith and trust on what Jesus has done becomes one of God's children, is forgiven, and all these things are in play for you. If you need help with that decision, talk to somebody. You can talk to one of us as pastors after the service. Maybe there's someone you came with this morning, a friend or family member that knows the Lord could have that same conversation. But don't put off that step of faith. God's responsibility, he's going to present you blameless, sanctify you in this life. It's, it, God is faithful. He will do it. He's going to take care of our soul, spirit, and body. Our responsibility is to the family. Our responsibility is to the word. And our responsibility is to operate in grace that we access through faith. Let's make sure we don't ever imagine someone lurking in the back panel of our life saying, not me, not my responsibility. No, it is our responsibility. God calls us to it. Thank you for joining us for Living the Word today. We appreciate your sharing in this study of the scriptures. And thanks too for your prayers and for letting others know of this ministry as we seek to be living the word today. We would love to have your feedback and to hear from you. And the best way to contact us is through our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Until next time, may his blessing be yours.